Welcome to our second parent discipleship night. I'm glad that you're here. I know we have a few more families coming, but we're going to go ahead and get started. Um, I'm very excited about this opportunity. I know that our church is um, all about um, being disciples who make disciples, who live and love like Jesus. And we do that first in our homes with our kids. And I know for me, it can be really difficult sometimes. Um, my two children are very different. And so getting the wisdom from God's word is awesome. And also getting wisdom from people who have gone before us and have worked through different things with their own children is part of that discipleship process. So I'm really excited about our panel tonight. We have Pastor R and Debbie Green, who have four adult children. I was thinking about that today. You have four adult children. <laughs> you have their oldest just had a grand, their first grandbaby, <laughs> and their youngest just went to his first year of college. So. Um, <laughs> It's exciting. It's exciting. And then we have Tom and Lisa Catania who have two in high school, right? Two in high school. And Lisa was our former children's director as well. She's got a lot of wisdom there. Um, I uh, wanted to just share again the Greenhouse uh, Children's Ministry vision statement is uh, cultivating a safe climate where your kids can connect with Christ. And we do that by providing opportunities where they can connect with the vine, the true vine out of John 15. And this year's scripture verse that we're focusing on comes from Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Um, it says, and now just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, so you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down deep into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thanks, thanks, thankfulness. Sorry, I know this in another translation better. <laughs> I can quote it that way, but... Um, just the idea of putting our roots down and going deep and drawing from the nutrients of the soil that we're planted in. And that's one of the things we get to do for our children in our homes is um, watch that climate, help that climate, provide um, different things that our kids are growing down into. And so the, the theme of discipline is one um, where we, um, you know, get to learn more from others and, and, and provide feedback there. So you have cards on the chairs here tonight. Um, if you have a question that um, they don't address, they're gonna each going to share some different things tonight. Um, write it down. We're going to collect it in a little bit. We have some other questions to get them kick-started. If you feel more comfortable raising your hand when we get to question and answer later on, perfectly fine. Um, but we're going to allow them to introduce themselves and share a little bit of their own um, journeys and um, thought, things that they have learned. But let me just pray for our evening together. So Heavenly Father, we just welcome you in this place. We just ask that you would just pour your spirit down um, on our time together, open our hearts to learn from you and from your word, Lord, truth so that we can instill those in our children. Um, we want to reflect your nature, the love of God, the grace and mercy, and also um, just the structure that you put, your commands. We want to love them and teach them to our children as well. And so would you be with us here tonight uh, in the name of Jesus, amen. And the last word I want to say is please thank our pastors and elders who are back in our rooms watching kids tonight. I love that they are supporting this night in that way because they believe discipleship is important. We have a pastor, we have two elders back there, um, and their wives and families helping. So it's a real honor to have them. So thank you. Aaron wanted us to introduce ourselves. So my name is R, and this is Debbie. And... Um, we have four children, 
And I'll just say a word, and maybe Debbie can sort of pipe in, but our oldest Chris is 29. He turned 29 yesterday. And they've given us, he and his wife have given us their first grandchild. His name is Judah. And I can't wait to teach Judah how to roar. Um, But Chris has always had a very sensitive nature. Um, He's always been a better person than me. I've always said to him, you know, Chris, you are a good and noble son. Um, Our name, Green, means virtue always abounding. And he's a virtuous person whose virtue is kind of always abounding. When he was three years old, Chris had injured himself, put his thumb in the door, and um, he put it next to his, his chest. And so Debbie said, Chris, why did you put your, ch- your thumb next to your chest? He said, because Jesus is in my heart, and I want to put my thumb next to my heart because Jesus can heal my hand. So he's just got a very sweet, sensitive nature. Now he's a physician, like Jeff, down in Alabama, Birmingham, a third-year resident. Our... Do you want to say something, Deb, about that, Chris? Okay. Um, our second born is Betsy, who's 26. Some people cross the bridge when they get there. Betsy crossed it 10 years before she ever got near the bridge. She thinks far ahead. She's very future-oriented planning. She um, started asking us what we want to be called as, like, grandparents long before she's ever a mom. Even to her dog, a grand dog is at the house now. She wants to know what the dog is to know us by. So Betsy thinks far ahead. Uh, so Betsy would like to run the world maybe or run a company, run something. And she, I had to resolve she's not going to run the house. And the Betsy's issue growing up was sassing her mother. And so um, I spanked her until I could anymore. And then I started giving her hot sauce. Betsy had more than any child should have hot sauce because of her sassy uh, mouth. Um, our third son, Jimmy, whose soul is a lot like mine, I describe him as kind of fun-loving, creative, innovative, kind of doesn't really pay much attention to rules. Um, when I would discipline Jimmy, uh, Jimmy would say to me, Dad, that didn't hurt. And I said, do you want me to make it hurt? And he'd say, give it your best shot. No, you never said that. <laughs> no, you thought you might say that, but you didn't say that. Uh, Jimmy would say, "Jimmy would say <laughs> it that didn't hurt. hurt. Didn't hurt." And then Josh, our last, our fourth, uh, I described Josh as an escape artist. Um, the question around the house was, "Where's Josh?" Uh, we're washing dishes, cleaning up. Where's Josh? Uh, we're cleaning up the garage. Where's Josh? We're uh, doing chores around the house. Where's Josh? So Josh is a professional escape artist. Oh, my goodness. Okay. The reason we're sharing this is because there are all these different personalities. And, and I'm Debbie. And we want you to realize that you probably have children that fit somewhere in with our four. And now we have three in-law children. So those are more personalities. But, you know, we can't take any credit for how they've turned out, those in-law children. <laughs> But our children, we can share with you some of the things that what we went through and that we still, as adult parents of adult children, it's totally different kind of life. But we had four children with four very different personalities. And when I was asked to be the mentor mom for Mops, this was 12 years ago, um, I said to them, I can't be a mentor mom. I'm not old enough. That was the first thing. I haven't raised my children. And the ladies quickly said, oh, yes, you have gotten them all through the preschool years. That's all you need. (laughs) You got them through the preschool years. And so then I became this, 
I knew how to do it through the preschool years. And I'm thinking, no, every one of my children was different in the preschool years. And everyone was different in the elementary school years. I don't know what it takes, maybe nine children, to become a pro parent. I just know what the scriptures say. <laughs> and, and I'm trying to stay close to the scriptures. So I, yes, I've worked with children all my life. My degrees in early not early, in elementary education. I taught school. I taught in Christian schools. I tutor every week. I teach adults now. But I've been with children, and I'm with some of your children, even in children's church, and I enjoy that very much. But I have been with children, and I've had my children's in my classes. My children's. Did you catch that? My children in my classes. But I say that I still don't think I'm a pro. I only can tell you that my master teacher is the Lord, and I'm not a pro. I'm still figuring out how to be a parent. Um, And I'm Lisa, and I I echo a lot of what she just said, and I'd like to also invite you in to understanding this is a safe place. Really, as you have questions or you share with us about your children, nothing will shock us. Between the six kids we've raised, they've probably already done it. we, my husband and I have two kids, and one's Ashley. She's the type of child that when she does something wrong, I look at her, and she goes, oh, I'm so sorry, and she falls apart. My son says, uh-huh. A very much more stronger willed. If I've laid down a boundary, he's putting his toe over it to really see if it's a true boundary or not. Um, there are times that parenting my kids being so opposite, I'm on my knees saying, okay, God, you created them for a special purpose and you gave them to me as their mother, but now I need you to help me figure them out. So um, parenting is a lot of fun. The discipline is a challenge. And I'm Tom. And our, our children, Ashley, she is 17 and Austin is 15, so they're in 11th grade and 9th grade. And that's where we are today with them. So we're transitioning into the next years of after, after high school. So uh, as Lisa said, they have, as all of our children, have very unique personalities. And it's, your discipline needs to be focused on what touches them, what speaks to them. And I think as we expound on that tonight, hopefully our, our words will in, in inspire questions from you because... Our openings aren't intended to answer all the questions. Hopefully, they'll help inspire questions. So if you have a Bible, we can open up to Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 20. I'm going to read to you three verses that I think summarize uh, some of the wisdom in the book of Proverbs. It says, My son, keep your father's commands, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Bind them upon your heart forever, and fasten them around your neck. When you walk, they will guide you. And when you sleep, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will speak to you. For these commands are a lamp, and this teaching is a light. And the corrections of discipline are the way of life. Hear that well. The corrections of discipline are the way of life. The scripture here begins by addressing, first of all, the fathers and the mothers. To the son, he addresses and says, keep your father's command. In order to be a disciple, a person has to have discipline. In fact, the two words are very related. You need to have the humility to receive correction and to follow somebody, which raises an interesting question to me at least. 
of how many of you were disciplined growing up? Like, I mean, some were underdisciplined, some were overdisciplined, and some were just disciplined the right amount. Um, my parents were overdisciplined as children, kind of harshly abused as children. So they vowed in the 60s they would not discipline me. So basically, I grew up underdisciplined. I kind of made up my own right and wrongs. I questioned, resisted authority. And then I think you may feel, if you were underdisciplined, unqualified to give somebody else discipline since you weren't disciplined as a child. You didn't have a parent correcting you. You didn't have the foolishness kind of brought out of you. You yourself were undisciplined in certain areas. So there you, therefore you ask, since I was undisciplined, how will I ever bring discipline into my child's life? Well, I just would say if you were undisciplined growing up, to learn discipline from somebody who can mentor you and how to bring, bring discipline into um, your children's lives. Um, Though I am a very disciplined person myself, sort of self-disciplined, I had to learn how to set expectations upon others, how to hold them accountable, and then how to sort of like bring the heat when they didn't. So I had a journey, I would say, in my own life from being undisciplined to learning how to discipline. Kind of one funny story of this was I would sort of like, my dad was military, so when my kids wouldn't obey, I'd bring out this voice like, okay, everybody, Time to do chores. And Chris said to me, he said, Dad, where does that scary voice come from? And I said, I don't know what you're talking about, Chris. Well, you kind of imitated me. And it brought back to my mind my own father that unconsciously I was beginning to imitate. When things got crazy around the house, I would imitate my own dad in his kind of military voice of, you know, running a tight ship. Secondly, some of you guys were over-disciplined. Um, you, you, um, you dealt with harshness. Like my mom's mom died when she was one years old. So she was raised by a very strict grandmother. And so my mom just kind of lived under the rule of the law. And so kind of harsh, and she associated discipline with sort of punishment. Um, and really um, chose not to discipline me because of the harsh discipline she had received. So this verse, verse 20, says, my son Keep your father's commands. The number one principle in parenting is you are the parent. I mean, you have to say it with me like, I am the parent. Somebody um, will ask, someday your child will ask you, like, why? And the answer is because I am the parent. I mean, I am the parent. You can say it a couple times. Uh, sometimes your kids will say to you, I don't want to. And you have to say, you will, because I am the parent. A parent is given by God the task, then, of bringing their child into obedience with the hope that their child will be conformed to the likeness of Jesus Christ. We have a society in which our children are being raised in child-centered households. That is not God's intention. He intended you to use your authority for their good. Someday a boss will say to them, have it to me by Friday. Or a policeman will say to them, pull over. Or a teacher will say to them, it is due tomorrow. And they all represent positions of authority. If they don't listen to their boss, they'll lose their job. 
If they don't listen to the policemen, they will suffer consequences. If they don't do their work in school, they will um, fail. So we want to set our children up to do well in life. And that's why the scripture says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Honor your mother and father, for this is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you, that you may live long upon the earth. So a father, speaking to the fathers now, has to put on his big boy pants and accept responsibility for his children to reject passivity, to engage in the parenting process, to know where they are and become active involved in their discipline. Sons, heed your father's commands. Now, Debbie's going to talk about moms. I hope you're still in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 20, that R was just reading. And it says, again, his part, my son, keep your father's commands. And the second part of that is, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. So when I was thinking about what I was going to share with, the, with you tonight, I thought, what is my teaching? What has been the thing that I have been required by God to teach my children? Because I am their first discipler. I really am. Discipline and disciple come together. Those are the words that come from the same root. I'm the one that is teaching my child to know about Jesus. I'm teaching them to live a godly life. I'm the one that was with them all the time. I was able to stay home with my children. It was not easy. And there are many times I wanted to not stay home with my children. And I'm being very honest. And I don't mean that even jokingly. I mean that there were times when I needed to think about, was it time for me to go to work? Because I needed a different kind of life in my mind. I thought it would be easier not to have to have all the answers and to continually be a consistent discipliner. A consistent discipliner. I don't know how else to say it that I, there were times I wanted to be off, but you're never off. It, it is a 24-7 job. And so I think my first job when I had my children was to teach them about Jesus. That verse when it says the mother's teaching to the children, it's saying do not forsake your mother's teachings. What are my teachings and what were they to be? And Jesus said there were two commandments that they needed to remember. And one was to love the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind, and all their strength. Now that's every single part of my being. I can't think of any other part. But I wanted my children to love God like that. How do I get them to love God like that? I needed to love God like that. So I needed to get hungry for Jesus. And I say that not to be flippant, but I needed a passion for Jesus. I needed to be hungry for him. And I wanted my children to respect God, ultimately. But the reason I was disciplining them was to help them understand that my discipline might even be easier than God's. Not to make them afraid of God. But eventually they're going to see that any sin separates us from God. And so my disciplining my children was ultimately to help them love God. The second command God told 
the Pharisees, when they were asking them about the most important command, was that they were to love one another. And the love he was talking about, God was talking, Jesus was talking about, was unconditional love, perfect love. So that when my sin, my children would disobey, they would fight, or they would do things they shouldn't do, that I was to discipline them, but discipline them quickly, be done with it, and love them. Now, that's kind of easy when they're two. But when they're 13, we moms can hold on to things. And it was hard. It's, it's still hard not to hold on to things. But God is commanding me to love my children unconditionally. Not if you obey me. Not if you do what I want. Forgot to turn my phone off. <laughs> Sorry. Not if, <clears throat> not if you um, are a good child or compliant but to love them unconditionally, with no conditions. There are some of, some of my children are much easier to love than others. Some that are much more easy to raise than others. And I'm sure that you probably, if you have more than one child, can say yes. But wait to the next stage. It may flip. Or the next stage, it might flip back. I don't know. But I'm still commanded as a mom to teach them the ways of the Lord. And Jesus' teaching was to, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. That's my whole being. So I wanted my children to want to love Jesus. So I wanted them to worship Jesus. So it was all about getting ready for corporal worship. Sunday mornings, getting ready for Wednesday nights. I mean, I was the best cheerleader in the world. So my kids weren't going, ugh. It's like, oh, man, we get to go do this. I mean, I, I was cheering them. And I still cheer them when dad's coming home. So that when dad comes home, guess what? My kids are excited that dad's coming home, not like, oh, gosh, your dad's going to be home in 15 minutes. The house is a mess. Hurry up. You know? No, dad's home. Yay! You know? I am the cheerleader. But I'm teaching my kids to love by my loving them unconditionally. And probably the most important thing my children will ever see is that I will love their dad unconditionally. And guess what? He's not perfect. I think he tells you all the time he's not, all his mistakes. <laughs> and I love him unconditionally. Some days I feel more in love, but it's not about a feeling. I teach my children that. It's about a decision I've made to love. Um, well, I'd like to tie right into how they laid a beautiful spiritual foundation for raising your kids. It's so important. I did not grow up in a Christian home, so when I first started having kids, I felt at a loss as to how to properly raise my kids. I was reading the Bible, but I was like... I still don't get it. So we have a ton of parenting books in the back. Um, we highly recommend them. And to be honest, I've been mentoring moms. I have cliff note versions that I've typed out to almost all of them. If you're interested, just jot down your email. I will send them to you via computer. Um, because I know as a mom, you never have time to read. Totally get that. Um, so if you think you see a book back there, you're like, wow, I'd love to have time to read this. 
just jot down your email and you can get the cliff note version. But with the spiritual foundation they were talking about, um, this came actually, I used to have the poster of this. This came from Haley Lascola. And when you're disciplining your child for whatever different reasons, they are screaming, they are sassing, they are hitting, they are not cleaning their room. This is a wonderful flyer. I have enough for one per family where you can read it and say, wow, my child's behavior is stirring up strife with others, my son's number one joy. Um, Heart-probing questions to ask him when he's doing it. Uh, Types of things to encourage him in and Bible verses to go with it. So if I am dealing with him because he's prodding his sister for the umpteenth time, I could go to this chart and be like, okay, you know what, Austin, let's read Proverbs. This talks about this. Let's, let's talk about what's going on in your heart, why you've decided to bug your sister for the umpteenth time. So I'll have copies of these um, at the end. But when I was asked by Aaron to speak, I thought, you know what, I want to share with you my top five discipline practical tips that Tom and I have used from our kids being preschoolers to teenagers. And so there are sort of five tips that you sort of vary it as they get older, but they really, they always help me keep perspective. Number one, know your child. Your child has a love language. I have one child who loves his back to be rubbed. I have another child who likes quality time. 11 p.m. is generally her quality time (laughs) until 1 a.m. and she stopped talking. Um, No, is your child an introvert or an extrovert? What is their personality type? There's a beautiful children's book which uh, names personalities as animals. So like Tom is the otter. He's the party kid. So is my son. I'm a lion. I tend to be a leader. I want to control everything. Uh, We don't have a beaver in our family. That's an accountant type of kid who likes to sit and do all the little things for hours and hours. You may have one of those. My daughter's the golden retriever. She's everybody's best friend. So when God's given you a zoo, they're really a zoo in your household, and you need to know those personalities. Um, You need to learn how they learn and what they learn and what stresses them. My daughter gets overwhelmed. My son could care less if he gets homework done in a day. Um, So knowing your child will veer away so many discipline issues. It's unbelievable just because you know, I see that face. I know your personality. You're stressing out with that homework. Or... I know who you've been hanging with because you're reflecting that personality. Know your child. Spend time with them. Number two, eat, sleep, pray. That's for you and your child. Tom can tell me when I'm hungry because I start slowing down and I get very crabby. So do my kids. So when your kid is acting out, say, okay, have they eaten? Have I eaten? Have we slept? Did I pray about this? Is my child in their word? Now as teenagers, I'm like, have you read the word? Hello, I can tell, Ashley, because your behavior is showing you're not in the word. Eat, sleep, pray. Do it for yourself. Make sure your kids do it. My son at two, we always joke about, he he always needed a drink. At midnight, he clonked me in the head at two because he needed his sippy cup filled. And I'm like, oh. So eat, sleep, pray. Rule three. Discipline is not the same for every child. My two kids are so incredibly different. What works for one does not at all in the slightest work for the other. The problem is we have 
Austin, who's strong-willed, and he needed, when he was preschool and elementary, the behavior chart on the refrigerator, just because I could otherwise yell at him for 500 things. He had it on the fridge. But even though Ashley didn't need it, I didn't need her to feel like, wow, bad behavior gets a behavior chart, and he earns cookies or whatever. She got one, too. It was just much easier for her to earn happy faces all week long. But she felt like she was included. She didn't need it quite as much. But just be sure your discipline, it's not going to necessarily be quite the same. My son, yes, he receives more spankings. My daughter received the evil eye. What works for each child? Um, number four, never let them see you sweat. There are times you are going to want to wring their neck. You probably have already had that experience. Throw them out the window. Sometimes, number one, you as a parent need the timeout. Go ahead. Tell your child, you know what? I'm going to step away for a few minutes. I'll be back. Go ahead. Hit your mattress. Throw your pillow. Whatever you need to do. Away from your child so they're not seeing you sweat. Because um, the children have to see stability and control. If you completely freak out in front of them, they're going to reflect that back, and they're going to freak out in front of you. And then you're escalating, and now you've got a whole fire in your house. Don't do that. Always let them think you are completely in control. Because let me tell you, if you don't have teenagers now, they will tell you things that you're like, <gasps> but you just smile and you go, really? Is that what happened at school, dear? Keep a calm composure. Then they will come to you, and they'll feel safe coming to you. Number five, when you are focusing on your kid's behavior, Sometimes everything drives you nuts about them, but never have more than five. Like right now with my son, in my mind, the five behaviors I'm working on is, oh my, he has a girlfriend, treat her nicely and with respect. Two, please take the socks off the floor. Uh, that's been on my behavior chart since he was two. Um, three with him, I want to make sure he does things the first time I ask him. That too has been, probably been on our behavior plan since the age of two. But never focus on more than five. Right now, my son, he doesn't always get his homework done, but that's not my focus because he's still getting okay grades. But just five things at a time, otherwise you overwhelm your child and they feel you're always upset with you. So those were my five tips. In those five tips that she was talking about, she has made copies that uh, she'll be able to pass out later on tonight. Didn't you make copies of those? Of a different one. Oh, that's different, different points. Okay. I was asked to talk about a particular subject, and, and uh, I wanted to talk about the proper use of a shock collar, but uh, they wouldn't let me do that. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but uh, so we were talking about dad's tips for disciplining before and after work. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, address that. And the first thing I want to share with you is bathe your family in prayer. Dads and, and, and moms, bathe your family in prayer. And jot these, I'm going to go through two scriptures pretty quickly. John 15, 4, we spoke about it tonight. It deals with the vine and the branches. And right here it says, remain in me as I also remain in you. It also says, abide in me as I will with you. That abiding and remaining requires you to spend time with God, reading your Bible, and praying. It is just imperative. It's imperative for a hundred areas of your, of your life, of being a husband, a better wife, a friend, a neighbor, a coworker. But tonight we're going to talk about disciplining with your children. So John 15, 4. The second one would be Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. 
And I'll read this to you. Deuteronomy 6, verses 5 through 9. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. You're going to hear similar themes that we shared earlier. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the frames of your doors, of your houses, and on your gates. Basically, always be sharing the gospel with your children all the time. And the toughest thing about being a parent is being consistent. It's a consistency when you're tired, consistency when you're feeling great, consistency of when they're really acting up or when they're really acting well. That it's constantly putting this in front of them over and over and over again. That abiding with Christ, that constant prayer and reading your Bible is what gives you the strength and the wisdom to be able to respond in certain situations of taking a breath before you respond emotionally. So the second thing for a dad is there's two to three critical times in a day. Before the kids leave for school or before I'm leaving for work, when the kids return home from school, and then before going to bed. Those three critical times, always let the last thing you say with your child be positive and loving. Don't let them soak in that negative all day long because you're gone. And don't let that last thing be lingering in their head. But take the time that if the, uh, something needs to be addressed, to say, we'll cover that later, but I love you. And then send them off with a prayer, a blessing. So fortunately for Lisa and I, we've had the ability to be able to pray over the children every morning since, I guess, first grade, I think. We're sending them off to school. And they always, and even today, uh, they're ninth and 11th grade, and they come see us before they leave. We pray with them, and then off they go. And it, it's, uh, it's not so much of a ritual as it is the prayer is different every morning. We're talking about what's, what, what are they doing. They have a test that day. They got an activity that night. It's specific. Discipline later, dads. When you come home from work, take a breath. Listen to how the day's gone for your children, how your wife's day is gone. Love on the kids. Talk about the poor behavior you heard about, but address it later. Let that time when you come home be a family time, an exciting time, a cheering time to dad's home. My kids used to run to me and jump in my arms. Now today, you know, they're older, I get the grunt. Hey. <laughs> uh, and let, let your kids share their side of what happened so they can express. And then explain why they're being disciplined and the type of discipline you're using and why you're using that type. Explain to them. Let them know that. Connect with them. They need to have that some one-on-one time with dad. It's important to build that relationship. Mom gets a, sometimes mom just naturally has that better bond with them. Dad, you really have to take an extra step to be in your wife, in your uh, lives of your children. Moms and dads need to be united up front. Lisa and I were on, on this from day one. We were, we were told this ahead of time is that when you're disciplining your children, if you're coming at, if you have a different opinion, always don't do it in front of the children. Go get a united front. Say, hey, we're going to come back on this one. We're not exactly sure how we're going to handle this. And go off and talk and come back as a united front and say, okay, we're going to handle it this way. Mom and I talked, and this is what we've decided we're going to do so that they can see that mom and dad are together. If not, they will play you. I did it as a kid, and when my dad figured it out, I was disciplined. <laughs> dad said, I told you X, and you went to mom and tried to change that. So 
A united front is good. And then alone time with your wife is good, dads. Kids need to know that their parents need time alone. So for us, in the evenings, we would actually, at bedtime, we would tell the kids, all right, guys, it's bedtime. we do the bedtime routine when they were younger. And it's like, okay, mom and dad are off duty. You're in bed. Mom and dad are going to go downstairs. We're going to have some time just together. Because when mom and dad are happy, kids are happy. Mom and dad aren't happy, kids aren't happy. And so they got that early on. So even today, they're older now, but when they head upstairs, they know mom and dad are just chilling downstairs because that's our time to just sort of catch up on the day. And I will let you know that dads, you do set the tone at home. If you come in from work heavy-handed and there's tenseness, everybody feels it. And try to be in the Word as much as you can so that that tenseness is something that you can just give to God and not try to bear yourself because his burden is light. I'll leave it at that. I'll take the first one. It says, in regards to spanking, does it matter if you use your hand or should it be a different object like a spatula, etc.? I've heard different opinions on this, and I think up here you might hear different opinions. Um, actually, I think we did talk or similar. Um, I, had, I grew up in a Christian family, and I will tell you that um, my, the way my parents disciplined me was... Um, They did a good job. (laughs) I was the one you could look at, and I would start to cry. That's true. But I can remember my mother saying to me, I need you to go over to the willow tree there and cut off the branch and bring bring it back. Well, I mean, I'm crying the whole way, cutting the branch off, the whole way back. I don't remember any pain from the whip. It wasn't like she whipped me. But even she had the time to calm down. (laughs) And I'm realizing the whole way that I was wrong. Um, My dad took off his belt. I mean, heaven forbid that we would even say that. But it was a little, usually the times I got in trouble was at dinner time. My brother and I would get in fights at dinner. My poor parents. (laughs) And my dad would say, okay, out in the living room. My dad was never angry. He took off his belt deliberately. It was never a, oh, and we would bend over. It didn't hurt me physically, but I was so hurt. And I share that with you. My brother, I think his stung just a little more. He was five years older. I do think. Um, but he wasn't hurt. There were no welts. There were no, no, it was a very deliberate form of discipline. R and I chose to use the paddles, you know, those Balls that you do this with. Take the staples balls. out first, though. Yeah. We, we took the balls off. <laughs> well, we broke paddles on the yeah, kids. We they paddles. weren't very thick. There's on Jimmy. <laughs> Don't say which one. <laughs> um, when they were little, I used my hand. Absolutely used my hand because I didn't have a paddle and I wasn't going to look for it when I was in the grocery store. And, you know, I... 
I feel, I always, I still believe that a quick, sir, quick discipline with a paddle or with a hand should be done quickly and it should be finished and over with. We aren't going to linger on this now for the next hour because you did something wrong. But it's over with, it's finished, I'm hugging you with the same hands that disciplined. There are times I did not want to hug them after I disciplined them. But we made a decision early in life with our kids that after we spanked them, we would hug them because we wanted them to see that we really were loving them. So it, we're all about, and I, the scripture says, you spare the ride, you spoil the child. That means you don't, you, you need to discipline. <laughs> we have to discipline. Whether you choose to do it with your hand, my mother, my mother used whatever she could find. If it was a hairbrush or a hanger that was around to get my legs, you know, and I would dance around. I, I mean, it didn't happen very often. I still remember the one hairbrush time in the kitchen, and I still can remember doing that. But she didn't really hurt me. It was just the fact that she t- it, it hurt me enough to know that what we were doing, what I was doing, was not, I wasn't going to get away with it. So those are the things that we want to do is to discipline for the sake of instruction. Yeah, Jimmy would say, this is his testimony, my mom is very dignified and loving, but she was my first drill sergeant because Debbie would not let Jimmy get away with anything. Like if she asked him to do something, she would follow up and she'd hold him accountable and Jimmy would do it even though he made lots of excuses and had other plans. She was his first drill sergeant. Which raises the, um, qu- the third question, when's the right time to implement discipline? Well, the scripture says if you love your children, you'll discipline them. And I think what you need to distinguish is childishness from rebellion and defiance. When it's clear what's expected and they're defying you, rebelling against you, against your authority, that's the time to discipline. So whenever that begins to happen, that's when you need to bring the heat. And I will say... Ladies, there were times I had to say to R, I need you to step in and help me here. Because he wasn't seeing it, or his background was different than mine. He wasn't raised in a Christian family. He didn't have discipline. He didn't know, he didn't know how to discipline. And there were times I needed to say, I need you to help me with this. And you know what music to my ears were? What do you want me to do? And I could say, I need you to speak with him because he's not hearing me. You know, we can't do it. I can't do it by myself. So I would need to come to R and say, I need you to help me with this. R can't read my mind. He thinks, he would think I had it all under control. But when I said, I need you to come help me, he was there as my partner to help me through it. All of Debbie's circuits were overloaded at that point, completely fried. There was no reserves left. And so she kind of needed me to intervene. And it may be a conversation I was unaware of, but now I've become privy to, and uh, I have my assignment. You know? So what I, the way I would handle it is I'd have this very lengthy explanation of parental authority, of their obeying their mother and doing what she said. So then pretty much there was compliance. Along with that question um, was a specific uh, issue that came up. It says, we tell our 
son, it is time to pick up his cars, he says no and walks away. We say it's time, that's the rule, he still doesn't listen and continues to dilly-dally. We say if you don't pick up your cars, you will get punished. This is after we've tried positive reinforcement, like pick up your cars so we can go play outside. When do we finally lay down the punishment? Well, one of you all were in my family room when my son was three, because this was him precisely. Um, I never knew, like, oh my goodness, at what time? I'm like freaking out, the cars are still all over the floor. So generally what we started to do is one of two things. Either one, we would say, in my mind, I'd say you have two warnings to get your cars cleaned up, or you go to timeout. But him going to timeout didn't necessarily he mean he would go to his room. Sometimes I would clean up the toys, they'd go to the top of the refrigerator to, for timeout, and he didn't know that when they'd ever come out again. So he knew, uh-oh, I, I don't want to get past two warnings. The other time would be just counting down and saying, I'm going to count from 10 to 1. The cars need to be cleaned, or they're going into timeout. Um, so the clearer you are, the clearer they will try to be. Like my son needed, to this day, he needs to know what the punishment is to see if it's worth it to him. Uh, he really, he is the constant negotiator. Um, his homework, he's like, I can skip this assignment because I still have an A in the class. He did that with discipline when he was a toddler. It started back then. He'd be like, so I don't clean up these cars. I'm done playing with them anyway. So just know your child, know what works, but just make sure they're understanding what you're looking for and the time frame. Yeah, on the piece of negotiation, um, I don't know if you have little kids or not, but w when one of our children um, was three and a half before he was potty trained, and he kept negotiating for train pieces of train, a train set, he would, um, <laughs> he would sort of like say, I'll, I'll do that if we get another piece of the train set. And so he, we were all, always bribing him to do uh, his business. And uh, eventually, you know, three and a half, he was trained. But, like, I don't think we have any, like, thing to brag about in terms of our parenting through that negotiation uh, with him. I lied to my son. That's how he got potty trained. And I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> we laugh about it now, but he was my rule keeper. He kept the rules. And we went to the beach. And I said, oh! <gasps> Look at the rules. You can't wear diapers on the beach. Oh, my goodness. Take him off. Take him off. Take him off. That's what he said to me. I, I, I knew my child. I took those, that, that diaper off, and we never put it back on. And, and I, I did say that because that's not on the beach. That's not part of the rules on the beach. It was my rule on the beach. But guess what? It did work for my other kids, too. That was my firstborn. Bless his heart. <laughs> Another lie we told was... Um, <laughs> Uh, one of our children was attached to his pacifier and just would not give it up, yeah. called his Pappy Pap. And uh, we said the little birds outside, you know, are hatching in the spring. They need a little pacifier, just like you have. So can we give up your pacifier to the little birdies? And then he gave up his pacifier. We, we put him on the nest the in the trees for the birds. And then they were all gone. They went to the baby birdies, must have been. <laughs> Yeah, the way we got moved away from our pacifier with our son was to give him a sippy cup because he was constantly thirsty. And so that was his. And he would go to sleep with a sippy cup with him. And if he woke up during the night, the sippy cup he would drink and he'd go back to sleep. So our rule to, in, was when we wake up in the morning and we go get him is not to pick him up by his bottom because we've always maximized those diapers. <laughs> 
<laughs> don't squeeze too hard. So, but that's why I gave him that story with Lisa when he, in the middle of the night, he was thirsty and he wasn't going back to sleep and he walked in our room and he went to mommy and he went right on our forehead with that sippy cup and said, sippy. <laughs> Lisa's like, oh gosh. Off she goes, gets some water and he puts it and he's right back to sleep because she knew that would work for him. And so, and Lisa's always been very good about working the discipline. And dad is not the disciplinarian. Dad's not the bad guy. And she would very work. She would work very hard and and purposefully, and her thinking and her actions to bring me in as part of, because because she was she was home with the children when I was working, and when I would come home and there would have to be an issue addressed, it would be brought up in a in a in a cordial way. Or I would talk to her on the way home, and she goes, "Hey, this is what's going on. We'll talk about this tonight." And that way, I'm in the loop. And she did a very good job of keeping me not pointing at me, but including me in the discipline. To tie in with that, one of the questions was, when my husband swats our son on the butt, he doesn't cry. He seems to understand why he was swatted. But when I, mom, swat him under the same pretenses, calm, assertive, matter of fact, our son screams and cries and hits me back. Um, I had a time where Austin would not... He would basically do what this child did. He would get mad at me. He would try to be the boss of me. Um, He was under five, but he was just at that really sassy, challenging me constantly. And that's when I did have to go to Tom and say, I need your help. And he was very influential on our son because our son was probably five sitting down and Tom's going, this is not only your mom, this is my wife. And if you hurt my wife you have to answer to me because I will always protect her. And even at five, Austin's eyes were just so wide and he was like, okay, dad, that he saw me now in a new light. I'm not just mom. I'm a wife and dad was going to protect him, uh, protect me. So sometimes dads, we do need you involved. We do need you to stand up for us because the kids are around us all day long. They can push it. (laughs) Oh, oh yes. slaughter? That, yeah, that's slaughter. Oh. Uh-huh. We could, we could go on with more questions, but... But maybe you have questions. It is close, close to eight, so if you want to jump in, we'd love to entertain them. It does change. And that was one of the questions, at what point does it change? Um, I can remember saying to R recently, um, the only thing I have are taking the car keys. And and that became every, well, most children want to drive. There are some that don't care about it. Okay, you've got one that doesn't, yeah. That, but that has been, that's a motivator. The issue was, I believe, um, the level of McDonald's bags in the car. And so, like, there, there was a request, you know, can you clean up the car when you use it? And basically it was, you know, neglect. And so Debbie's... Um, the other thing is cell phone. And it's big. Cell phone usage, I can look back and say, oh, goodness, my oldest child didn't get a cell phone to... to 
he was 17 years old, but my youngest had one probably at 14 or 13. Um, and I, you may have one that has it at eight, I don't know, but that is a big deal. I know that I had just said to R again, probably in the last few months, I am paying for that cell phone. When he doesn't respond to me, Debbie wants to put it on hold with Verizon, okay? Because when Debbie is communicating, typically it has some urgency involved with it, perhaps something like a scholarship. I want you to obey now. <laughs> you know, he's still, when they're 17, 18, 19. It just can't wait until he's ready to respond, so he has to get, get on it. So it's like, and you're not answering, and we're paying the cell phone. So I think that is a point of leverage. It's a leverage. I, ha I haven't disconnected it. I think about it, and I pray about it. And I've also said it. You know, I don't even want to think this way. But sometimes this is where I think. He doesn't, you don't love me enough. I hate to say this, but I said this to him. You don't love me enough to respond to me. Mom, that's not what I mean. But that's how I feel. So when they're 14, 15, 16, 17, they need to know how we feel. They don't, guys especially, have no clue how women are thinking. And I'm the first one they're going to be seeing and learning about how women think. It doesn't think. change much as we get older. That's right. <laughs> and, and you guys are still guessing unless we tell you. I mean, as wise, I still are has to guess unless I tell him how I'm feeling or thinking. Because he's not wired at all like I am. And I'll jump in with the, the teenage issue. If you're saying middle school... What helped me understand my middle school son and my daughter, because they seemed like they were aliens, is that their brain is rearranging itself like you've moved into a new house. So they really can't recall things you told them just two hours ago. To understand that helped me. So for our son especially, our daughter somewhat, contracts worked. Here are the five things I'm expecting from you, and I had him sign it. Because again, I told you he's the master negotiator. And he knew if any one of those five items are broken, uh, no cell phone for a week, which is like not breathing to him. Um, he, again, because he gets so scattered, he made a copy of that and keeps it in his wallet because he's like, ooh, I'm supposed to call mom. When is it? Oh, the contract says any time I change locations. That is how to keep his brain focused. So just a thought there. It, we, we also learned there's such a maturity difference from 14 to 15, to 16. And I, with our children, they wanted to be treated older. Don't treat me like a little kid. Don't treat me like a little kid. And what I found was that when certain behaviors were arising and staying consistent, I would say, if you want me to treat you like an adult, then this behavior needs to change, or the way I'm going to discipline you is by this way, and they don't want to be treated that way because that reminds them of when they were 12. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be treated like I was 12. So then they modify their behavior to where we really want them to get to. When it, when it comes to money, we have a child who, if we went on vacation together and he had $100, he'd come back with 105 We have another child who went up with $100, he'd come back owing $100. So... so to, I'm going to speak now to the latter one who would owe you $100. We put him on a budget his last year, which included 
his haircut, his gas money, his lunches, a few things like that. So it actually was a pretty large amount of money, but when he tapped out, he tapped out. And so I think as the older they get, you want to give them increasing responsibility and the consequences of, you know, I burned it up on something, now it's gone. Don't keep indulging them. Yeah, I will jump in with that. Yeah. Um, the more they can deal with the real consequences of real life, the better it is, the more they learn. We did the same thing. Our kids this year got a debit card with an account, and we gave them their clothing money for the year. And at first, they thought, oh, wow, that's so much. And my son, by the end, was like, Mom, I need underwear. I'm like, not yeah. my problem. You yeah. have money. The real-life consequences teaches them so much more. Other questions you may have? Wow. What, I didn't travel that much. When I did travel, uh, our communication was critical. And she would share with me what is happening, and she would say, I disciplined them this way. And if I said, well, you know, I would add this or change this, uh, mm -hmm. that way we're on the same page. There were times where I'd say, bring them in, put them on the speakerphone. Now, we've mm -hmm. already spoken. And here comes the speakerphone, and Dad talks. Hey, Mom's sharing with me. This is what's going on. Yeah. I'm not home. Mom's trying to do both jobs. You guys have to help out. And it's, it's still the constant communication between the husband and the wife. And the dad has to be flexible enough to, to say, what are you doing? And tell me so I can act in according. And if I need to talk to them, what do you want me to say? And I'll do that. That I would really strong mom and dad need to be talking and you need to be sharing with him what's going on. He needs to be listening. And I'll be with you on that in terms of the environment's different at home when there's not dad. Okay, I confess on the first one, I don't cook when dad's not home. We have like pancakes or eggs or cereal for breakfast. I mean, everything's pretty much minimalist. House does not get cleaned. Dad comes home, things start to change. Um, but it was always adjusting with my kids, saying, okay, dad is coming home. And he was always good of giving a full day of, you know what, I'm going to be in the house, but I'm not going to rule the house. I'm going to transition in. So I think the transitioning is really key, too. And I think military is going to be different because you don't have the contact. Mm -hmm. and, and you are all of it for maybe two months mm -hmm. or a year. And I do believe that you can do it. I, I, I believe with God's help, you can do it. But the transition back in, I think is, it's as long as you know it ahead of time, the transition, and we're transitioning now between you and your husband and, and explaining even to the children, you know, your father's here and your, your father loves you too. Your daddy loves you too. He's going to be helping. I mean, there is going to be a transition for the kids, but even a transition, I think, between husband and wife and you, you had to wear the man pants the whole time. Oh, I didn't. <laughs> and then, but now you're trying to pass them over. And it's like, oh, gosh. You know, I had to make those decisions before. Now why are you making them? I mean, part of me would go through that. Like, I took care of everything. Now, now I've got to let him do it. Now, part of me wants to let him. 
but I'm used to doing it. And it will be a discipline for me to learn how to let go of this and let him now take on that responsibility again. And it, it won't be easy, but it can happen. We do have a military mom who's a mentor mom, so if you're interested, I can give you her number. She is great about mentoring moms through that same situation because she's been there. So, Other questions you have? One that's down on the list is how do we communicate our discipline process to caregivers and grandparents so they can be consistent? I'll speak for Debbie and I. We didn't really want our parents to bring discipline. We, we wanted them to... We didn't really want caregivers or grandparents to bring discipline to bear on our children. So I think you can communicate how you handle situations, but I wouldn't sort of give that task to a caregiver or to a grandparent to bring like a spanking to your kids. Nope. The thing I would want as a parent, I would want, I mean, as a caregiver or a grandparent, is that the parents are supporting me so that if my children, oh good, if my, if my children are misbehaving for grandma or for, for the babysitter, I want to know it. And then I want to support the caregiver or the grandparent or even dad. If they're misbehaving for dad, you know, when they're little, you know, I, because I'm the one who was their main discipliner, I may need to then really step in. And that sounds funny, but it do, that does transition. And so as a mom, you may need to step in and discipline because they're acting up for your mom or for your husband. Okay, does that make sense? One thing I'm going to jump to, because I know that we have blended families here, um, Lisa shared with me, well, you want to share it, Lisa, a little bit about how yours was? Yeah, I did come from a blended family. Um, so we had two siblings, my brother and I, and we were blended with three additional siblings, <clears throat> one who was a girl who was two days older than I. And the rules of discipline there was my mom disciplined my brother and I, and my dad disciplined his kids. So it was very separate. It was sometimes frustrating because I'm the same age as this other girl, and we were treated very differently, but that's how my parents had done it. It was very split and divided. Um, I would recommend more communication <laughs> from a kid point of view. I just, it was hard. So. Eighteen months. I think you said it, though. 
because, well, <laughs> it's appropriate for the situation and having a conversation with them. Um, I have a child who says, that's not how you did it for me, you know, and, she, and she's right. <laughs> that's not how I did it for her um, because they are different. Now, she's not really being angry or irritated, but she and I can have a conversation about it. The older they are, the more you can have private conversations with them. But you can even say, you know, he isn't like you. And so we're doing it differently. You understand it. There is that. And that's the part about knowing your children and being able to say. And, and in your case, being able to know his children, too, to be able to explain. that We don't really know all the right answers, but we're trying this. Will you support me? Will you support us in this? Children will invo evoke, invoke the um, fairness doctrine, yeah. that it's not fair. And you have to in invoke the appropriate for the child doctrine, that this is, this is the best for them. I actually had to with our kids at one point, because our kids are only 20 months apart, so they are very competitive. One, <clears throat> we try never discipline one in front of the other. So one doesn't really know the full discipline that just went on. And really, they're too embarrassed to share or tattle what they just got punished for. So one, we've always tried to keep it private. But two, it was like, look, Austin, if you were in a wheelchair, then I would have to treat you or discipline you different than someone who's not and trying to show those differences. But also, I found the more we did it in private, the more it stayed in private and they couldn't compete and compare. And, you know, I, I had uh, a similar question and I addressed it with our kids when I thought they were old enough to understand was that don't compare mom and dad's discipline with you to the discipline of your friends. And, and I was like, I said, this is our home. We're under Jesus Christ. We use the Bible as our basis, and this is how we discipline. I don't know how Johnny and Sarah are being disciplined, but this is how we do it. So I cut that off early, and I don't think we ever really heard that from them about comparing. They just knew this was our house. This is how we do it. The last question on the list is what are ways to teach grace and mercy in the discipline process, and how do we communicate the nature of God through discipline. A great verse to reflect on is Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 10. It says, our fathers disciplined us. So the expectation of the father is to bring discipline. Our fathers disciplined us for a little while, while we we're under their roof, under their authority. They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. Fathers were trying to do the best they could given the, the situation. So our fathers disciplined us for a little while, what they thought was best for our good. Um, but, our, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. So God is continually bringing discipline to bear upon his children because he wants us to, be, to live a holy, righteous life. Then verse 11, no discipline, seems, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. So you know you're doing discipline right if it's not pleasant, right? It's painful. There's consequences involved with inappropriate behavior. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. But later on, okay, this is why you discipline. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So what you really want to see happen is 
the character formation, the peace that comes from discipline. So you don't ever want to avoid discipline because it's difficult, because discipline is always painful and probably more painful for you to parent than it is for the children to kind of stay on your game and stay consistent. But you want to see this harvest of righteousness, sowing these seeds, harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Wouldn't you rather have children who are disciplined versus children that are undisciplined? And before you say no or yes, um, just think about a child who's completely out of control, right? You know, going around the neighborhood, turning on water faucets and letting them run. Or running through the neighborhood and smashing mailboxes. You know, a child who's completely undisciplined, out of control. Um, I don't think anybody would want to have that child. So the reason why we discipline them is that their lives will, you know, be fruitful and abundance of peace. And I'll jump in. I thought what was interesting is both the Greens and we brought a book that's on the back table, and I do have cliff notes for them if you're interested, but it's Parenting Isn't for Cowards by James Dobson. Amazing tips in that book. But one is realize as parents you're going to be exhausted. And I wanted to just address there are stages to burnout. And I think sometimes our discipline gets inconsistent when we're burnt out and we're tired. And he gives us five stages. And the parents who are generally the most burnt out are those who are most committed to their kids. Hello, take a date night. We had the hardest time taking date nights, I think, because I just felt like, I can't leave my kids in somebody else's hands. What if they do something wrong? I was okay with it. Yeah, he, he, he would be like, well, we have kids. We got in the car, and I was like, who? Yeah. But realize and recognize in your partner that there's parental burnout. One, you start off parenting gung-ho, and you're super excited. And then two, you start to doubt, well, am I good enough? I think all of us parents ask ourselves that question. Was that right? I mean, we're here to support you and say, hey, you're doing the best you can, and that's all God has asked for you. Number three, then you can get into this transitioning. You start getting tired. You start condemning yourself. You're like, I'm a horrible parent. Women, you need girlfriends. I'll just tell you that right off the bat. Um, My girlfriends from this church, I have leaned on, I have called, I have cried to because I feel like I can't do it anymore. That's, I'm hitting burnout. I'm on stage three. Four is when you start pulling away. Do you notice your kids are playing in one room and you're starting to be like, I'm going to sit in the bathroom 15 more minutes. Okay, you've had it. Hello, that's a big red flag. (laughs) You're fried. Go find a babysitter and walk the mall. Go to a movie. The last one is chronic disenchantment. I haven't seen this happen to a lot of moms, but when it does, they've sort of lost their identity. They're sort of like, oh, here come the kids. They talk that one monotone, oh, here they come in the house. Maybe they'll clean. They've just lost the zest for life. So women, watch your girlfriends. Um, I know Christina Rapp and I, we are two doors down from each other. There's been times where she's like, can I send all my kids up to you? I'm like, send them. Give them to me because she's on the edge. Recognize that in your spouse. Sometimes I'm like, Tom, the minute you come home, you get the kids, I'm gone. I don't know what I'm doing wandering Walmart. I, I don't care. But recognize that because otherwise your discipline with your kids may more be out of anger and frustration and exhaustion with yourself than what they actually did. You've sort of lost perspective in the parenting process. So know there are stages to burnout. 
And we never want to discipline out of anger. And not that we haven't, but that's our goal, to never discipline out of anger, whether they're 15 or they're five or two. We never want to discipline when we're angry. And you know what? It's really hard to discipline when you're not angry. It's hard. It is a discipline for me to have to get up and go figure out and talk with them about what it is. And it would be so much easier sometimes to ignore my high schooler and overlook that. Now, I know that sounds horrible, but there are sometimes you go, okay, I'm not choosing this battle. This one is not the war. But sometimes, like R says, we moms shouldn't ignore the battles, these little battles, because they become wars. And so we need to go to them, and we need to figure out a way. The discipline may be as simple as talking with them, but it may be even bigger. And when you talk about grace and mercy, I think that we really can teach that, especially when they are in middle school and high school. And, and we, haven't, we have given disciplines like taking the car away for a week. And then, of course, it's very hard on me because then I'm the one who has to drive them. And we realize that was done too rash. Really didn't need to do it quite a week. I would say, then I come to my child and I said, I made a mistake. I told you seven days, and I really said it out of anger. I want to know if you've learned. And we've had this conversation. You know, we, do I believe them? If I don't believe them, then maybe they haven't learned. But this is, an, this is a sense of grace. I'm going to give you the keys back after three days or five days. That is, and explaining to them, this is grace. You don't deserve it. You don't deserve a car. You don't deserve keys. I don't deserve heaven. This is when we start getting into our lectures. <laughs> I don't deserve heaven. I deserve hell. But God gives me grace. So that's one of the things. And we've done that. We did that a lot in middle school and high school. Yeah, um, we, to piggyback on that, we invited, we invited our children to be part of what discipline should you get and brought them into that decision. What do you think you should get for this? And bringing them into that and, and making them part of the, the family. Uh, sometimes, you know, it all depends on how old they are, on how much or what frame of mind they're in at that time. If you're going to invite them in, you've you got to make sure they're not in a very high emotional, or, or you are not in a high emotional state either. But say, we're going, to, we're going to take a time out. Dad's taking a time out. I'll see you in five minutes. I want you to think about what we need to do here. Invite them into that. One of the other things we also did, because you're looking down the road, is the discipline is showing love towards your child because you want to, them to grow to be a certain, you're, you're aiming for them to be Christ-like, right? So you, you want to you discipline and you want to shape them towards that. Through our family life, our, you know, real life, dad lost a job. I did. I lost a job. We were, we had no, in, had no income for a while, so we had to live off of savings. And our children had an allowance. But we had to sit down and share, you know, dad doesn't have a job. We're not having money now, so we don't have money for allowances. You bring them into the family, 
And so, you know, right now we're going through a tight time. We have to watch our money. So we're not going to go out as much. We're not going to do out, outside activities because dad doesn't have jobs. So what we need to do is we need to pray that the jobs that dad's interviewing for, that God opens the right door for him to find that next job. Now they're included in it. Now it's not like, Mommy, I want this, I want that. They're actually curbing some behavior because they know, oh, we're, down, we're, we're in a tight spot right now. And then when dad does get a job and things get better, then there's a, a reward for that, saying thank you very much for working with us. And uh, now we can, you know, now we have some extra money. I don't know if extra is the right word. We now have discretionary income that's budgeted towards going out to dinner. We can do that this coming weekend. So I would encourage you to do that as well. Yeah, yeah Tom mentioned, um, you know, this uh, question, what do you think we should do? And I, I would ask one of my children, this, this is actually Jimmy. I'd say, Jimmy, what do you think I should do? He said, Dad, I think you should let me walk. I think you should let me off the hook. So he understood grace very well. So I, I, <laughs> I remember, I remember uh, one parent wanted to impact their children with grace. And so they had done something very seriously wrong. And the parents said, you know, what happened at the cross was Jesus took my place. I mean, he showed me grace. And you deserve punishment, but I'd like you to show your punishment you deserve to me. And the parent knelt over, and the child was given the paddle to spank them with, to feel the weight of what they had done that someone had substituted themselves so if you want to be really daring as a parent sometime and your children have done something seriously wrong to take their place and let them punish you, then perhaps they would understand what Jesus did a little bit more on the cross for them. I'd let them be a little older. <laughs> I wouldn't let them be two. <laughs> yeah. I was just going to jump into, um, I think as moms, we tend to get embarrassed when our kids do things. I must say... Here was the children's director, and my son's the one we discovered drinking coffee creamers under the coffee table. With a buddy. With a buddy. But I'm like, oh, my goodness. Or Pastor Mike walking him in saying, your son is trying to throw rocks from the park into the parking lot over the roof. And as a mom... And he was making it. He was making it. It was bad. And as a mom, I wanted to discipline him more out of embarrassment of you just embarrassed me and we always have to separate it as this was my child he made a poor decision there will be consequences it's not my fault this is my child learning life so try and let things roll off your kid will do more things than you can imagine that will embarrass you or you'll think oh my goodness I never thought my child would do that and they do and just realize they are learning, and God has them in, their, in his hand as they're learning. And I was thinking, wow, what a great arm. <laughs> My head, so I make it over the back. Yeah. Aaron. Is there a process or a strategy of not taking it personally? Honestly... I had to keep giving it to the cross. There would, I would write a journal and sometimes like, I cannot believe Austin was throwing rocks over the church building and almost hit a wall and I'm so upset about it. And I realized it was my pride and that's what the core was, was my pride and my lack of humility to sort of say, he's six. I mean, my son, my husband's taking it as, whoa, what a great arm. He should play bas- baseball. And I'm going... 
that's, he's not an extension of me. And that's what I had to realize. He came from me, but he's God's child, and I'm just trying to raise him. But I too many times took him as a direct, whatever he does reflects me. And it's, it's not. So it's a lot of self-talk, I think, over and over and over. You asked for a, a, a process, and I think that's, that's a good question. I just think the answer is very varied. And I think it's, it's a process of my personality, my child's personality, and how do, I, how, do I, how do I achieve what you're asking? How do I not take it personally? Um, I, that, that's, a, that's a good question, but it's definitely customized. And, and it's looking at how do, what's, what is it that's affecting me? And how do I address my child? Can I joke with them and they get the point? Or does it go right over their head? Do I just look at them and have a stern voice and they got it? Or do I need to have a paddle? Yeah. I think a lot of conscientious parents beat themselves up. And I think there is the voice of the enemy in that also, of bringing a voice of judgment, condemnation onto ourselves. So I don't think that's the voice of God. And I think I have to... Um, distinguish the voice of the enemy from the voice of God. And I don't know if you heard what Aaron asked, but I think it's really a good question. When Did you hear what she asked uh, about parents when we don't take it personally? God does not bring condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And that is the taking it to the cross. And I do think always... There is that, you know, I had one that crawled underneath all the chairs and ran across the chairs, and, and the Wednesday night teacher would bring him to me and say, you know, he crawled out the window in the trailers, you know, and I'm mortified. You know, this is a pastor's kid, supposed to be a good kid, you know. So it was all, it, it, I could think it was all about me, can I tell you that I'm very thankful that Joel Schaefer, to this day, loves my son? And he, he was discipling my son the whole way. He wasn't mocking him. He wasn't saying, oh, you're failing as a parent. But he loved me in the process. And I say that because I thank him. And you said, Joel did the same with you. And I said, aren't you glad that we have other adults in here who will, if they see... Our kids, I'm sorry, I do it to your kids all the time probably if they're running through the church. No, don't run. But I don't think, oh, my goodness, why did she let him run? I'm thinking, no, we're all in this together. And I love your children, and I want you to love my children back enough to teach them how to behave. Now, does it mean they can't run in church? I think you should have a great time in church. And it may mean running down the halls and, and laughing and having a good time. Um, there was an older lady in our church who used to say to me, when my child, when Jimmy, was <laughs> crawling under the chairs and running on top and all, and she would say to me, he's going to be your preacher. She just diffused it right there, and she would keep saying that to me. And of course, my response was, I hope so, I hope so. You know, like, there's no way, because he's, you know, he was so full of, but she gave me hope. And so, Aaron, I don't know the answer except to say, God doesn't give us judgment. 
He just wants our obedience. And I'm just trying. And you're just trying. <laughs> and we're not going to make it perfect, but we're going to keep teaching our children about Jesus One of the other, other things Joel Schaefer did is he did for us is he caught Austin. He shared with us when things where Austin was doing well. And, yes. and Lisa did something because she's a, she's a teacher background and she brought something home. She, a hundred things she brought home, which were great. But one of them that really stuck out with me was let's take the time to catch our kids doing something right. Not always catching them doing something wrong. And I, I, maybe you all do that. But that was a revelation to me years and years ago when I said, man, what a great idea. Uh, so I would encourage you to do that as well. Go ahead. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Now, I, I was the baby of four boys. So my brothers always looked at me and said, you're spoiled. And I said, yes, I am. And I said, I'm smart, too, because I watched you guys, and I saw what you got in trouble for, and I just avoided it. So, you know, I got stuff earlier. So um, I have a daughter and a son. Did I discipline them differently? Not because of their—I did, but not because of their gender or where they were going— but because of their personality. And, and so that was my differentiator. Was I, Ashley was a lot easier for me just to be able to look, a, a, a firm voice, and she just wilted. And that's all I needed to do. If I did more, I would crush her spirit, and I would close her up. I don't want her to close up. I want her to blossom with me like a rose. And, and my boy, uh, I, I would treat differently. There were times when Lisa would correct him, and I'd say, you're not getting through to him. And, and I would say, and I'll tell you why. And then I would piggyback on her, and I would take it a step further. And because it was his personality and that I was getting to. And, and that's what I was focused on. And to know if you've done it too hard, your child's a flower. And if they're still open to you at all times, then you're disciplining beautifully. But if they've closed up, and now it's a week later, and they're still not talking to you, then it was probably too hard. It's time to go and talk to them and say, okay, I've really hurt you and adjust from there. So you've got to decide if they're staying open with you or if they're starting to close up to you. So. Mm -hmm. Thing. Oh, one more. Yeah. Yeah, actually, I, I did. I, I felt like I had no connection with them, and I did not feel very loved by him because I saw how he loved his children through discipline, and for me, it, he, didn't, he never addressed the issue. So, yeah, there was, that's interesting you say that, but there was that lack of detachment um, from him because of that. Yeah. That's why you recommend talking about that, you know, 
you you wish he had spoken to you and explained, you know, I'm going to let your mom take this role. But even, do you think if your mom had said, your dad and I have talked? Oh, yeah, absolutely. If I felt they had been together on it, I just felt like <clears throat> we never blended as a family, if I can just say it that way. We always stayed two separate families under the same roof. So... But you're doing it together. That's the thing. You're not just saying, mm -hmm. okay, now you take it from here. These are your kids. These are your kids. Though the older they are, the more it may have to be that way. I mean, if they're 23, well, 23 you're not disciplining. But if they're 17, you know, and you just have been in the family for three years, there may be more of a div distinction, I would think. But still talking about it because you're under the same roof. And we're a family and we're unified now. So I think there can be a lot of talk. Well, in the interest of time, I want you to be able to go get your kids, but I, you'll be here for a few more minutes. You can come and talk to them personally. Check out the books on the table. Please write your uh, email addresses down if you want. Lisa's Cliff Notes. Thank you again for coming out tonight. I hope this was helpful. And let me just pray over us as we leave. Father God, we just... Uh, bless you and praise you for your goodness to us. Thank you for um, choosing us as parents and giving us the kids that you've given us. And Lord, we just continue to ask for your wisdom every day as we love them and as we bring them up in you. Um, may we be disciples who make disciples who live in love like you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you.